It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only, as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, with me, Coogan Cassius. This week I'm delighted to be joined by quite a long-term friend, I suppose I can call it's you a, now. It's a very long term. I, very long t- I reckon, I mean, what is it, 15 years, got to be? 10? 13 years. Going in the middle of them, 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. Spencer Oliver, welcome to Raw, uh, the fight within. Uh, we spoke about doing this for a little while, so yeah. it's good to get you on. Um, how's life, first of all? Life's good, really good. As you know, like just really busy with boxing at the moment is mental. We're all over the place. So life's good. Okay, I'm going to ease you in quite gently into this, um, and then we'll see where it <laughs> kind of takes us. Yeah, Making no, me I'll nervous with that one. I'll do that on yeah. purpose, but um, yeah, no pun intended. All um, right. Spence, so for you, what were your kind of first ever memories of boxing as a child? First ever memories of boxing as a child were probably sort of Barry McGuigan, around that sort of time, watching Barry McGuigan like, become world champion. My dad took me to a couple of the shows. Started boxing when I, I started boxing when I was seven years of age. Started going to the gym at seven years of age. So it was something that I was introduced to as a young kid. My dad boxed, my uncle boxed, my granddad boxed. So it was like family tradition, really. So yeah, I was taken to the gym about seven and then so obviously started having a real interest in boxing. I think the first time I started getting a real interest in boxing was when Marvin Hagler boxed Summer Sons. That was a fight that captured me, captured my imagination, really, because I remember watching that. I think it was April the 7th, 1985, the fight. There you go. And I remember watching it and it was on, on TV, obviously, and um, 
yeah, I thought, yeah, I want to be Marvin Agler. That's what I want to be. I want to be middleweight champion of the world. That was my that was my dream as a young child. And then obviously like the Barry McGuigan days and, and stuff like that. So yeah. Do you remember the first ever fight you went to? Don't remember. I think it might have been I think it might have been a Barry McGuigan fight that I went to was one of the first ones I'd ever went to. And I remember going to see Tony Tony Sibson box Frank Tate and on the undercard was Nigel Benn. Like we're going back a long time now. I remember, um, yeah, that was my sort of first memories really of going to boxing. And then like with myself, obviously I started boxing at like seven years of age. And so I felt like I was in the gym years before you could even box. And you had to be, you had to be 11 years of age to box. And my dad took me as a spare on my 11th birthday to a boxing show in Ryslip Working Man's Club. And I ended up getting matched up and boxing on my 11th birthday, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Happy I know, it's birthday, mad, isn't yeah. it? I know, I know, exactly, yeah. 11-year-old kids are normally having, like, jelly and ice cream parties, and my dad took me as a spare. And I remember it was, like like I said, Rice Lip Working Men's Clubs, and at that time, you could smoke inside. So it was, like, a proper little dingy gaff, and it was, like, smoke everywhere. And I boxed this kid called Seamus Kenny. Seamus Kenny, and he was from Burnt Oak. And I remember us getting matched, like, they, they went, he had two kilos height advantage or something, but he's four fights and four losses, something like that. And... Um, I just remember having a life where they've struggled with him. Like, I won the fight, but it was at the time, like, I was an 11-year-old kid, I ended up with a big black eye, and, yeah, it was just mad. It was mad, but good memories, though. Do you pin, like, anyone specific? It, always, when I speak to people on this, and I always ask them what was the fighter that kind of inspired them, but kind of got them into boxing. I, I repeat myself every week on this when I say, like, even as a fan, for me, it was Princess Lee Hamid that I started yeah. watching that got me into watching boxing. It was mm. the first box that I remember watching. But for yourself... Was there someone specific that you, I don't know, that kind of led that charge yeah. in your life? Yeah, it was Marvin Hagler. Yeah. Was that, like, like I say, because that fight was in 1985, April 7, 1985, so what I've been, I think I was 10 years of age then. And that was like, because I've been boxing a few years, like, because it was a family tradition. That was a fight that sort of captulated me, if you, if you like, like to go like, I had a real interest in it from that because it was just like the build up and the fight itself and, Obviously, become a massive Marvin Hagler remains, my, you know, my favourite fighter of all time. But that was the one that really got me into going. Yeah, this is what I want to do as a living. You know, this is my this is my dream. Mm. Uh, this is something I always find very interesting. Asking people, especially in boxing, and people that have spent the majority of their life in boxing, like like you have. Um, do you ever think about like if you hadn't got into boxing, what mm. you'd be doing, or where you'd be now? Yeah, yeah. I think my life would have been. A, honestly, if I hadn't got into boxing. I never had any education, left school at 15, and that was probably because I put all my eggs into one basket because I wanted to be a boxer. So I thought at that time, I don't need education, don't need this now, I want to be a boxer. But knowing what I know now and doing what I do now, that was probably a wrong decision. Do you know what I mean? But I think, had I not been boxing, boxing was definitely, and I know it's that cliche that you always hear, oh, boxing was my saviour and this and that, but I didn't knock around with a particularly good crowd when I was younger, and a lot of them are not with us anymore through the, you know, loss of drink, drugs, or, you know, life's a crime, and, you know, just thought going down the wrong path. So my, my guess would be that, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a particularly good life, if I'm totally honest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked Billy Joe this last week, and Billy Joe, I think we can kind of see where Billy Joe goes with some of his comments, because he just straight out comes and says he, he reckons he'd be in prison, or, yeah. in his words, it wouldn't have been good. Well, that's a, sim yeah. Yeah, that's a similar sort of story. You know, I think that what it is with boxers and people that get into boxing is that a lot of them come from 
deprived backgrounds, like uh, you know, um, and maybe you know, not financially, not in a great place, like, not financially secure as young kids or whatever. They come from cancer estates or whatever, and they see it as a, you know, boxing as a way out. Do you know what I mean? And 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 also as a, a sort of like release. And I think that that's why you get the similar sort of stories of every boxer that sort of makes it. You listen to their background and what and the life they would have been living or where they would have been going, and ninety percent of the time, you you'll speak to a boxer and he'll say life of crime would have ended in the wrong place, maybe possibly even dead, and that's but that's the reality of it. I think that's sort of the, that's the background from where boxers come from. Mm. Do you, what do you think about profession wise you'd be doing if you hadn't got into boxing? Ever thought about that? So when I was at school, um, I I always wanted to be a bricklayer, believe it or not. That's why that was my thing. Like, you know, when you get sort of different curriculums or whatever, and you get to choose, like, whether you want to be a carpenter or a bricklayer or whatever. I think I started off on bricklaying, and then I, I sort of showed a little interest in carpentry as well. But, like, somewhere like that, within the building industry, I reckon. Because, like. And you still think you'd be doing that? You wouldn't be doing it now, surely, at 55, <laughs> would you? How old are you? 47. I'm oh, 47, yeah. sorry. Why do I think you're 55? 55, I'm 48 next month, oh, by the way. So, yeah. I knew you was late 40s. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... No, like, well, yeah, would I have... I would have still been doing that probably by... Yeah, now, you'd have been like... That's what I'm saying. It was like my life would have... Um, yeah, it would have been a very different life to what I've got now. Although my boxing career ended when I was very young. Like, I just turned 23 years of age when I had my injury. We'll get into that in a bit. But when... So when it ended at that stage... I've been very fortunate in my life with you know what I've you know what I've achieved within boxing and how I've stayed within boxing like you know for the last twenty five years since my boxing career ended you know it's like sort of um, yeah I've grafted at it. It's mad to think because when you talk about that and your last fight came ninety uh, nine was it ninety eight May the second nineteen ninety eight yeah ninety eight so you spent kind of half your life away from boxing like as from when you started in your professional years yeah. kind of thing. So from that age of what, 23 you said? Yeah, I just turned 23. 23, yeah, so that's like... Over half a lifetime. Okay. Over half your lifetime, but you're mm. still involved in the sport, yeah. still involved in the industry. Yeah, I mean, it's mad because when I look at it and I see the people that have sort of come and gone doing the job that I do, I think there was an interesting stat that come up. Andy Clark done it, and Andy Clark's the type of guy that sort of like knows all these things. And I think I'm the longest reigning common... St- Commentator slash pundit in Europe, ex-boxer. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's a the mad stat because I finished when I was such a young age. So although I'm coming up like 48 years of age now, to be a commentator, like most boxers finish in their 30s, don't they? Maybe like the late 30s, or whatever. So to be within the sport for another 25 years after that, which is like how long it is now. I think it's 25 years this year, this May that I had my last fight, and I started commentating or started working as a pundit in the. August of that year, because Sky saw it as a good advert, as me me being a good advert for, you know, boxing itself through what I'd went through and, you know, having to re- my, rebuild my life the way that I rebuilt it. So Sky saw that, and, I, and I've just, yeah, I've just grafted it, mate, you know what I mean? I've just sort of, um, I've dodged a few bullets, let's just say that. No, but I think that's quite incredible when you, when you kind of explain it like that, mm. that, you know, I think if you speak to most people that watch you, like on various platforms, media platforms, etc., uh, I don't think a lot of people, aside from really hardcore boxing fans, would know that that was the age that you had to yeah. had to retire from the sport. Mm. So the fact mm. that you've kept yourself in there, in that industry, is quite it remarkable. Is, it is remarkable. Like If I go back to, like I say, May the 2nd, 1998, Royal Albert Hall, 
you know, making a making the fourth defence of my European title against, although it was a manage, uh, the mandatory contender, it was a routine defensive, I'm totally honest. I'd beat, he'd had like 33, 131, but the two people he'd lost to, I'd knocked out in previous European title defence. It was a fight that I should have comfortably won, but for whatever reason, making weight and struggling at the time didn't go my way. But to think like going back then, and I sort of like, I, I, I collapsed in the, at the end of the 10th round, got knocked out in the 10th round, Sustained a blood clot to the right side of my brain, had to a three-hour operation, and I was the, I was the next guy after the Michael Watson incident. I was the next guy that it had happened to. But medical procedures, the you know boxing board control, you know moving the way that they did, and medical science, sort of um, yeah, put me back to where I was now. They sedated me in the ring, like I said, collapsed in the tenth round. Um, sedated me in the ring, which stopped any swelling on the brain or whatever. Took me to the hospital, recognised that I had a bleed on the brain. Operated, sort of, I drilled in here, took this part of my head off, put it back, and I woke up two weeks later, still thinking I was at the Royal Albert Hall, like, and I'm looking around. So it was less. Let's say I was in a room like this, like, it would, like in my bed. I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, right, it's my mum, my dad, and I'm thinking, fucking hell, what's happened here? I must, I must have got knocked out, and that's what I was thinking. I was obviously like. And so um, they're asking, do you know who this is? And I'm nodding because I've got this tube in my mouth and fucking, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, yes, my mum, my dad, and this is like weird. And then the ballpoint pens in my hands and my feet, and my, just to see my reaction. I'm thinking, what is going on here? And so I'm thinking at that time, this must be a lot more serious than I thought. I'm going to have to have a year out here. Yeah? I don't know that I've got 98 staples still in my head at the moment at this stage. I think I've got to have a year out here. Yeah? So then like two or three days pass, and I take the catheter out because I've done that. So I started, and so then I've got to go and learn to sort of like, say, I want to go to the toilet and whatever, got to learn to walk again. So it was, a, it was a mad situation when I look back on it now, Coops. At the time, I just think, I'm still thinking, oh, fucking hell, this is going to be a bit worse. I thought perhaps I'm going to be a little bit longer out in a year. I'll get up and try and walk, and then I sort of like my legs weren't operating properly, so now I've got to learn to walk again. My, you know, I had to learn to, to some extent to talk again and just like re, and rebuild my life, really. And at that time, that was a difficult thing to do when you're just a 23-year-old kid and your boxing career. So you're the kid that is like the sky building and the next big name in boxing and whatnot. And then you wake up in a hospital bed and think right now, not only is my boxing career over, but I've got to rebuild my life. Mental, mental health wasn't a thing then. It was not like mental health wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't a recognized thing. So I had some like, you know, I had to, I, yeah, I had to go from a really dark place at that time in my life, you know what I mean? To try and rebuild myself and do that. And so, I went through all of that, and like you know, like I say, like um, yeah, like rebuilding my life really. But Sky obviously saw me as good advert, and they sort of started using me. So I was sort of like, um, yeah, maybe that was my saviour really from yeah from that time. I do want to come back to uh, that part of your life, but before we come and go into that a little bit more, I wanted to kind of go into your kind of your early years as a child. Do you remember um, the first ever kind of fight you got into, away from the ring, nothing to do with boxing as such. Do you remember the first kind of altercation? Yeah, I do, actually. Everyone I, remembers their first one. you know one. what? And my one was a mad one, right? Because I was like, fucking hell, I was young, man. Maybe, maybe 10 or 11, something like that. 
And like I say, I was boxing then and everything else. And we was, you remember the fairs? We used to have fairs that popped up everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah, not yeah. so much no more, do they? They're, they're still if, around. Yeah, they're still, still around. But, but, but yeah, but like, like when you were younger, yeah. they were packed all the time, yeah. weren't they? It was just like, because that was like the only thing really to do. So they were very, very popular. Pound a ride then. or something like that. Yeah, yeah very popular. That, yeah. So I remember like, we used to have this fair over the field near where, near where I lived. So my mum lived in this little little cul-de-sac place. And then we had an estate right next to it. And that's where I used to knock around. And off the back of the estate was the fair that used to go in every year. So I remember, I, I must have been 10, maybe 11. I don't know, around that time. And um, I remember having an altercation with one of the little travellers there. And he kept, you know, they're like, some of them used to be bullies. Like, they kept, so I'm like, yeah, let's have a fight. But I didn't really want to fight because, like, they, they're like, you know what I mean? They've got a lot of confidence and all that. So I'm like, yeah, let's fight, let's have a fight. And so he, and I said, no, not here. Let's do it over there, like, at, 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 in the next field, away from all this thing and all that. So he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he walks over, but now I've got a load of mates walking over with me as well. And I'm thinking, oh, mate, this is like, you know what I mean? But I used my then boxing skills to bash him up, which was mad because, like, for a couple of jabs, I was moving my feet and he's trying to sort of kick me and whatnot, but he can't get me. And then I'm cracking him again. In the end, he swallowed it and he had it. But that was my first sort of case. And I'm like, like yeah, as a, as a young kid having a fight on the street. Did you get barred from the fair? No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I know you've touched on um, this next question, uh, but yeah, I mean, you've touched on it like previously when you were talking about kind of what happened to you uh, back in 1998. But the question is, t talk to me about a time that you felt like you were fighting a losing battle. Do you make reference to back then? Definitely. Yeah. I think that when my career had first ended and my life took a dramatic change, obviously, because, you know, I knew exactly where I was going in life. I was like, you know, European champion, number two by the WBC, three by the IBF. So I had a really good world ranking and my life was going to be brilliant. Do you know what I mean? I was earning good money as a young kid and everything else. Then obviously what happened, happened as I touched on. I woke up in a hospital bed, got to rebuild my life. And that was, that was the part that, like I said to you, like, so for two or three years after that, it was a very dark time for me. Like, very, I was in a very dark place, was drinking a lot. Going, you know, like, my life was not going for the better. So, like, everything was going wrong in my life. And, um, yeah, I think... That's when I felt like I was losing a losing battle, when you you can't see no way out. Like, because back then, I was like, why fucking me? Why has this happened to me? My life's over. Da, 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 da. So, I like, whereas now, on May the 2nd of every year, I celebrate it, and I've got a big smile on my face, so I think I've been given a second shot at life, and there's, not been, there's been a lot of people within the sport that have not made the recovery that I've made, and, you know, some, some people, tragically, I just think I'm so lucky to be given a second shot. Like, you know what I mean? I've got all my health... Everything's there, but that took me a long time to get to that place. Like so, I for the first three or four years, I think I was yeah I was losing. A, I thought I was losing the losing the battle purely because I, mentally I couldn't get my head around the fact that I couldn't box anymore. I was, I was a young kid, and like I say, like whereas now mental health is such a big thing, and people, I've got people to turn to and go to. With me, it was everyone that was close to me at that time. If I speak to my mum or my dad or whatever, they'll go. Look at, you know, Spencer fucking hell, like, you know, look how lucky you are. Like, you know, when you look at Michael Watson and all those sort of people, you've been you're very fortunate. I go, yeah, the outside's great, the shell's good, but inside's fucked. And that was a, a, a difficult thing for me because I was not getting the answers that I needed. And like, even going to see a counsellor and stuff like that. And I was thinking, these people don't know me, they don't know my life, and they don't, they're not understanding me. So, yeah, it was something that was like, um, that's when I felt like I was losing the battle where I was just thinking, like, 
I can't see a way out of this. I can't see a way forward. So, yeah, depression was a big thing. At that kind of age as well, as, as people between the ages of 20 and 30, you are really kind of discovering yourself as a person. Yeah. It's quite a funny period for a lot of people between mm. 20 and 30. So you're obviously trying to have your career as a professional boxer, but then you've had to go through that at that age yeah. from 23 onwards, which can't have been easy because you're not kind of developed in nah. in all aspects of your personality and, you know, um, in all those kind of respects, you're not developed. Yeah, absolutely. You? And you know what the mad thing was, Coog, when I, when I think about it now, like you say, I was just turned 23 at the time, which when I look back on it, it's just insane. But I look at it now and I think for the, like, say... 12 or 13 years whilst I was doing punditry and commentary and everything else, I'm looking at the kids in my weight division, talking about some of them, you know, when I'll be talking about certain, certain fights and whatever, but I'm still comparing myself as a boxer in there with them. Yeah, I would have done that. I would have done him there. And all that, but you, like, that was the sort of things that I was dealing with because I was still considering myself a boxer probably up until I was about 35. So I think I could still do that. I would have still done that. I would have still done that. And that... That was the mad thing. It was just like, because I had, like, physically I was great, so I was still training, I was still boxing, still doing everything. Physically, I couldn't do it, like, I was doing everything that I, I was doing before the operation. So I was still comparing myself, and, like, with fighters of that time. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was a really weird thing, mate. It really was. It was not until I got into, like, say, my late 30s that I probably felt I would have been over now. And I was looking at it slightly, slightly different. But, yeah, it was really weird. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Aside from anything to do with boxing, what are the, the everyday battles for Spencer Oliver? What are they when you wake up in the morning? Do you have, whether no. they're mental, whether they're whatever they no, are? No, do you know what? Mine is now, mine is now like uh, every day is a bonus for me because I look at it. So I'm different. I'm a very optimistic person. And because I've been through what I've been through and I've had the demons and I've had, been through those dark times and everything else, and I'll come out the other side... I now look at it and go, like, um, every day I wake up is like a fucking celebration for me because of what I've been through. Do you know what I mean? And now when I look back on it and I think how serious that injury was and what could have been, fucking hell, what have I got to wake up and have the ump about? I'll go, like, every day's a bonus because it was that serious, like two weeks in a coma and learning to walk and talk and rebuilding your life again and then being in the position I'm in now, I go, what a fucking, like, what a gift. Mm. So, yeah, like, I don't wake up with them things. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, nothing really gets me, um, yeah, nothing really gets me like that, if I'm totally honest. Yeah, I mean, I ask you that because obviously, like, we like we speak all the time yeah. and obviously I see you around all the time, but I suppose 
for yourself, like that question of everyday battles, without you saying that to me, I wouldn't know that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't assume that on anyone that yeah, don't kind of have those, whether they're physical or mental battles yeah. every day. Like, I'm not talking about kind of, you know, anything to do with being a boxer because you haven't yeah. boxed for so long yeah. anyway. But, uh, but mine, was, mine was basically the gift of life mm. that I got given back. Fuck me, that is like the most valuable thing that anybody could ever have. Do you know what I mean? Like, mine was the gift of life and that's that's probably the way that I look at it, where I wake up now and go, you know what? As long as I've got enough money in my pocket to get me through the day, that's like, materialistic things don't bother me. Like, the gift of life, which I was given back now, which, which I now understand, I go, I'm winning. When was the last time you felt you were having to fight back tears? Are you emotional? Oh, every day, mate. Yeah, I'm an emotional person. I seriously am. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a very emotional person. Like, I get, um, and I get, and I easily get, I get emotionally invested in people as well. Do you know what I mean? When I get, like, so I'm very much a guy that likes to um, give and help as opposed to receive. Like, I'm one of those. Like, yeah. So I get emotional. I get emotional about a lot of stuff. So honest. when was the last time you were holding back tears or fighting back tears? Fucking hell, probably this morning. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I don't know, really, mate. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, obviously, like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a regular person. What I'm saying is I'm yeah. not one guy that you would see, like, I would, and I've not got a problem with crying in front of people or whatever. Like, if I was told something or whatever, you, like, give, 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 yeah, give me a scenario. Like, if I was told, like, you told me something, I found emotional and sad, yeah. it would probably just get me. Like, yeah, I'm like that. Yeah. I'm like that. So I'm an emotional person. It's funny how some people are completely opposite ends of the spectrum with that where... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Don't want to be seen to be crying and, and whatnot, yeah. I refer to that one with Billy Joe. Like, you know, we were talking about that, how mm. he says that if he had a problem or he was feeling emotional, no one would see it because he wouldn't let anyone see that because yeah. that's just him. But then, like, other people, you're talking mm. about yourself here. But do you know what it was, Cooks, as well, with that, which probably is why I am the way that I am today, is because back then, back in the 90s, when I was a young kid and trying to do this, on the surface... Everyone thought I was the most bubbly kid and the most lively kid and everything else and in the world. But when the door behind closed doors, I was the most emotional, fucked up person you could possibly imagine. So you was never really seeing the true me because that was the, like like what Billy was saying there. I would only let my emotions come out when I was there. And I think I've learned like in life from all that. Like my life experience from all that was just like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just like insane, man, because I'm I'm not the same person as I was then. But I was taught. What what I've been taught in life come from back then. Do you know what I mean? That was the that was the start of it all. And so yeah, that like I'm, that's why I'm on the flip side of everything now. Whereas that before I'd like keep all my emotions indoors, and people would see me and go, "Fucking what a chirpy chap he is!" Like for what he's been through, you know. Like like no, but I never showed that side of it. So yeah. You said there uh, a few minutes ago about those demons that you used to have. Mm. Uh, what were those demons back then? And is there a kind of an after effect of that? into this part of your life? So I think back then, um, I was very, very, very fucking bitter and twisted about what had happened to me. Um, I was thinking about it totally different. So, but obviously because of what had happened to me in my life, but I felt physically able, that was a big problem for me because I felt physically able, like I felt as good as what I did before I went in the ring. Once I you know, took that year out of rebuilding, I had like short-term memory loss and stuff like that, but everything started coming back. So, so like for me, I was very, very bitter because like I say, what had happened to me, and 
it's just crazy because I just thought, why me? Why not? You know what I mean? Why has this fucking happened to me? But now when I look at it, I go, well, it's like anything in life. Do you know what I mean? There's a certain element of risk to everything you do. It happened to me, and, and I've got to give him a second chance. So what am I? What am I bitter about? Now I understand it totally different. I read it totally different because of my life experiences. But I think that was my everyday struggle: is that I was a bitter little bastard because of what happened to me. But I never showed that on the surface, so that was always behind closed doors. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, like I was a two different people, really. Mm. One was indoors to, to the one that was outdoors. So you think your kind of mindset and how you view life now—that's come about over like a healing a time healing process million percent like fucking hell like i'm talking about a 20 year period really for me to like you know from 98 to you know say fucking hell to 98 to yeah 2018 or whatever like that was the period where like i i'm only i've only been really good in my life for probably the last year five or six years as in like like no issues at all do you know what i mean like i think but that was that healing process obviously it got better over time when i was like in the early stages, I couldn't understand it at all. I was fucking just a totally messed up kid when I look back on it. And I think there was some form of breakdown that I would have had then. Like, cause when I look back on some of the things I was doing and decisions I was making were all totally wrong. But I think, yeah, I think it's been over a period of a long time that has taken me to get to where I am. Where does your fight spirit come from? I mean that in the, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. mental sense as opposed yeah. to like a physical sense. Um... I don't know really. So, um, so like, to rephrase the question, though, it's well, look, you're you're a fighter in two senses of the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you've come through what you've gone through in mm. your life, and you, like I said, that happened like 25 years yeah. ago. But you, and I don't mean this in a physical sense. So I'm saying, yeah, your, I mean, your, your, your fight spirit, like you know, some people I've spoke to have said it's just it's something that they've developed themselves. Some has come from their dads and things yeah. like that. Or yeah, I parents. think mine's just been like yeah, mine's just always been. It's been there, mate. Like, the self-belief that I've always had and that biting spirit is, like... I always said, well, even when I was boxing, mate, you would have to fucking carry me out of the ring to, for me to lose, which effectively is what happened. I nearly lost my life doing what I do because, you know, like, I got floored in the first round of that fight back then and I had a heavy nosebleed, so I had the blood clot and it finished in the 10th. Like, I don't remember the fight at all. I don't remember anything about the fight, the weigh-in the day before or anything. It was mad, but I just think I've always had that, that fighting spirit that is, like... Um, Losing's not an option in my life about whatever you do. You know, I'm just, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I've always had that fighting spirit, really. So I don't know where it's come from because I think it's always been there, even as a young kid. You know, even when I was boxing as a kid and everything else, I've always, I think I've always had that, that, that winner's attitude, probably is the best way of putting it, without trying to sound big headed. I just think that mentally I've always been so that. So you've instilled it into yourself to some Yeah, degree. like whatever I'd done, whether I was. Fucking, I don't know, whether I was playing tennis against someone that you knew was much better than you at school, whatever. I always had that belief that I was going to win, do you know what I mean? Even if I kept losing or whether I was doing a 100 metres race, a fucking 400 metres race at school, whatever. I always believed I was going to win, even though when you look back, when I look back on it, I think there was three or four kids there that like maybe done it properly. That I knew that was going to smash me, but I still believed. I didn't think, ever think, oh, I'm going to come second or third here. It was like, yeah, I just had that mentality. I've always had it. Spence, you spoke about um, depression not being kind of, uh, I suppose, people not knowing uh, or labelling aspects of depression mm. as much as they can do now with yeah. kind of the help and uh, how much it's put out there. So back then, uh, late 90s, like for you, not even in the mid-20s yet, yeah. did, but do you, did you believe yourself to be, have gone through... Uh, 
a state of depression at that definitely. time. Definitely, definitely. When I look back on it now, I've been, I, don't, I don't believe I know mm. when I look back on it now. Like, fucking hell, like, I just think, wow, mate, like, I was seriously, seriously fucked. Like, mentally, like, totally, like, yeah, totally gone. I think that it's a good thing that mental health's been uh, recognised, is, is a recognised thing now, because it wasn't recognised back then. And so there would have been a lot of people, I suppose, that go through depression that are not fortunate enough to, to come out the other side. I was, like, but that was only down to... Myself, I, it's only me that really pulled me through that stage, you know what I mean? Like just a slowly process of rebuilding. But when I look back in my sort of mid-twenties and yeah, late-twenties, yeah, depression was a, was a massive thing, man. How big do you think depression is in boxing currently? I think it's pretty big. I think it's pretty big with... Um, Why don't enough boxers talk about it? Maybe, may, I think that maybe boxers can't talk about it now with depression and stuff like that. You know, when certain things don't go their way or their fights are falling through and they're just training and they're, you know, they're trying to stay motivated and whatever and depression. I think that boxers maybe don't talk about it because boxing is the ultimate gladiatorial sport. You're the man, aren't you? You're the man. Do you know what I mean? Fighting is like that thing. And I think that maybe boxers that can't talk about it see it as a weakness. And if they see it as a weakness, they think that people are going to see a weakness in their armour. And I believe that that's probably why they don't talk about it. Mm. It's interesting because we've got like, obviously the advocators of mental health, especially over the last few years, your Tyson Furies, your Leo yeah. McKenzie's. Um, and it's not just obviously just down to those two. There are other people, but it's still, I think you're right. It's still perceived in some aspects of life as a sign of weakness. weakness. It is, that's what it is. And, I suppose some people, yeah, won't look past that into talking about it, even if they knew that it could help them. Yeah, I think there's maybe egos play a big part in that, where these people don't, they, the people that are struggling with that, and, you know, fair play to Tyson Fury and Leon and, and you know, and others that you talk around doing that, because it is good to talk, do you know what I mean? It is, it is, it is very good to talk, and people don't see it as a weakness now, but I just think there's something within some people that do see it as a weakness, or think that people are going to see it as a weakness if they come out and talk about it, that's... Yes, it's probably where we're... I don't know, it's just a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, in these... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course I understand. And I've heard from opposite ends of the spectrum because I've had Leon talk about this uh, and also Tyson on this podcast. But then I'll refer back again to Billy Joe who said that his attitude to it is literally get on with it. Whatever it is, just... Do you know what I mean? Have your days, have yeah. whatever it is. And, I, you know, if that works with Billy Joe, then fair enough. It's not going to be the same case for other people or a lot of other people. Do you know what say? it is, Cooks? Every individual is different. Yeah. And we're all built different. We're all programmed different. Mm. Some people need help. Some people can deal with it on their own. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it's, it's, listen, it's never not good to talk. And it's like, it's, it, it is not good to build shit up because when you build it up, it blows up. You know what I mean? Whereas if you talk, you know, it, it's something that could be a minor problem or the way that you're feeling will turn out a huge problem if you just leave it and let it go. Mm. So, yeah, I just think that talking is a, is a good way of people dealing with their problems as opposed to getting to that point where they fucking have a mental breakdown or things just blow up and, they, and it's non-reversible. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that works for some people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. People individually programmed different. different. And, exactly. like, so, you know, 
Who's anyone to say whether that's right there's or wrong? No, there's no, there's right, no right, or right or wrong. There's no right or nah. wrong. I think everyone, like I said, deals with how their emotions and how. No, they I, I built things. up. I built up for twenty years, mm. mate, on my own without fucking talking to anyone, doing anything. So you can imagine, and I've got to say, it was a like, from my experiences, was a fucking one was a roller coaster, but was a horrible dark place. That's probably saying that. So, had I known what I know now back then. I would have liked to have talked and I would have liked to, do you know what I mean? I would have liked the help that is on offer now that wasn't maybe back then. It's a long time for you to go through that mentally for yourself, isn't <sighs> it? 20 years is a chunk of your life. Yeah. Uh, a huge chunk of your life mm. that, yeah, to go through that and not really be able to deal with that until over the last, you say, four or five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, it must have been quite difficult. Yeah, very difficult. Very difficult, you know. Maybe, you know, yeah, four, five, six years, wherever it was, but... Yes, yeah, it's a tough. It's a tough time, man. But it is what it is. It's like another life experience, isn't it? It's like, do you know what I mean? Life experience. What happens is when you go through loads of life experiences and so, some traumatic and like like mine was very traumatic back back in the day. But it makes you the character that you are today. And I think that as long as you can take all the pluses from whatever life experience you go through, then you know it's character building and it makes you the person you are. Like, I feel you know like I, I, I'm in a good place in life right now, a very good place. You, you fight for your family, your kids, etc. people around you. You've got good people around you. Who fights for you? Like, who's got your back? Whatever, whatever time or day it is, whatever situation, who's got your back? My missus, Nicola. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, she's become... We've been together a long time now. We've been together 23 years or so. When you've been together that long and you've been through... She's been through those life experiences with me. She's been through the good times and she's been through the bad times as well. And when you both come through that, you become soulmates. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's probably, that's the only person I can really rely on where you go, I know she's got my back whatever time it is, 24-7. Yeah. And it's mad because, like I said, the answers to that question across the board have been different. I remember asking Eddie Hearn that question and he said, me. Yeah. I'm the one who's got me because yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he's not reliant on anyone. And But then mm. like other people have named like a good friend of theirs, you're naming your wife there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very fortunate, like, as in, she's got my day-to-day, she, she, she looks after my day-to-day stuff for me. You know, like, you know, I think in life, you know, you need, you need a soulmate, you need to find your soulmate. And I think I found it, yeah, 23 years ago, like, but because of those experiences, that journey we've been on, like, yeah, she's the, she's the one that I'm reliant on, do you know what I mean? Down to everything, do you know what I mean? I can't wash, I, I can't wash clothes, I can't clean houses, I can't do invoices, do you know what I mean? I can't, it's as mad as it seems, like it's the little things in life that matter. Do you know what I mean? I can't feed, feed myself unless I'm eating takeaways and like shit food. What I was saying, so yeah, they just, they just become like a permanent fixture in your life that I wouldn't really be able to operate without her in my life, if I'm totally honest. I'm sure there's some other reasons, some sentimental It's loads, but I don't know what I say. Oh, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I weren't going there with that. <laughs> I was just saying, obviously, we've been together for a long time. Yeah, we've been, like, we've uh, been through, because yeah. we've been through so much together. Like I say, I've been through the fucking highs but I've also been through some very, very, very fucking bad lows. Do you know what I mean? They're like down to, you know, down to, yeah, some really bad lows. I mean, I think in life, do you know why I'm in such a good place now? This is probably a better way of explaining it. You have to hit the lowest point you possibly can before you can rebuild again. And I think that's what I've done in life. That's what happened to me. That I got what, when I got to the stage like when my career was over, and that was the, that was the rebuilding process. My career was over. I, the girl that I ended up marrying in, I ended up getting divorced, fucking lost the house and lost everything. So I've just got the clothes on my back 
and I hit the lowest point I ever could. Met Nicola before this. I, like, I hit the lowest point I ever could, and I was in a fucking terrible place. And when I met Nicola, but like say 23 years ago, that was my rebuilding process. And it's taken me to where I am now to just go like, I'm in such a great place. But you have to hit that lowest point before you can rebuild. And I think that that's what I've done. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you how fucked up it was. It was bad. Yeah, and you hit it at such a young age. Yeah, well. that's what I'm saying. So it's like, so that's what I'm like, at an age where you're going, fuck, where am I going to, like, that, yeah, that rebuilding process is not an easy thing to do. You know, it's a tough thing to do. When you're, like, like, when you're not academically bright, like when you've got no education, and your career's been taken away from you and you're a young kid and you think, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And your life falls to pieces. Like you say, you end up getting married, divorced at a really young age, you lose your house, you lose everything, you've got clothes on your back and you think, at, like, at what point Like, at what point is this going to get better? Mm-hmm. Like you say, when you wake up in the morning and think, there is no fucking reason for me being here. And that was like, where I was at. You wake up and think, like, I'm for what? What am I here for? Like, what is it? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was like, yeah, but that was, it was weird. Last one, uh, you can answer this how you perceive it to be asked to you. That fight within you, what yeah. drives that fight? What do you think is the factor that drives that fight to you at 40, nearly yeah. 48 years old? Yeah, so I think um, that fight within me was being given that second chance in life, maybe. That I I'd now take life as a celebration and, and I enjoy it, but I've just got this, yeah, I've just got this... When you recognise, when, when it's nearly all gone, you appreciate it a little bit more. And yeah, that's, that's probably my fight with him. Okay, well, listen, Spencer, thank you very much. I know like we've spoken uh, about the same cliche stuff that we do in our kind of regular interviews, yeah. but I kind of knew, obviously, I knew the story um, loosely about kind of back in 99, mm. uh, but there's some stuff there that I, I, I didn't know relating to that and uh, more of your kind of mental state at the yeah. time, which is quite interesting to hear because uh, it's not for debate. I think what happened to you has kind of probably benefited um, other people in the situation kind mm. of post-99. Uh, is yeah. that a fair thing to yeah. say? Yeah, definitely. Not Definitely. that something you'd want to be the, the no, person that did that, obviously. But it does. But like, it has done, yeah. It's give um, maybe a lot of people hope, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the other people that it happened to, like, do you know what I remember? Like, so mine was in, yeah, mine was in 98, and I remember going to the hospital when I was working for Sky when Paul Ingle got injured yeah. against the South African guy. I think he was boxing or whatever. I can't remember the guy's name now. And Paul Ingle, and I was watching the fight, and I was at ringside, and obviously what happened, that happened. And I remember that was in 99, so it was like a year after I'd had my accident. And I remember going to the hospital um, with his wife or his girlfriend at the time, girlfriend or wife or whatever she was, and, and his mum and whatever, and just sort of giving them hope on, you know, what that, what happened to me and everything else. And then just like the rebuilding process, speaking to Paul at the time and trying to help him through things and everything else. But I think, yeah, definitely it's given a lot of people, you know, a lot of people hope. People must look at it and go through certain, similar circumstances and... Even not within boxing, people that get head injuries, brain injuries or whatever else, and they've got to go through that. I've had many calls before from people, you know, looking looking for inspiration, I suppose, looking for hope. And I think that if, there, if, you, if there's hope in life, it, it definitely helps you on your journey, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Okay, Spencer Oliver, thank you very much for uh, appearing on yeah. Raw, the fight I'm in. And... Uh, Yeah, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next Monday. Make sure you comment, like and subscribe. And we're out. Sports Social Podcast Network.